Our company culture just two words, very easy, right? very catchy, deliver happiness. And the meaning for me as a CEO of a company, my number one priority is to make sure Zoom employee happy. I believe if you have happy employees, you're going to have happy customers. Welcome to View from the Top, the podcast. That was Eric Yuan, CEO of Zoom. Yuan visited Stanford Graduate School of Business as part of View from the Top, a speaker series where students like me sit down to interview business leaders from around the world. I'm Kathleen Schwind, an MBA student of the class of 2023. I was honored to sit down with Eric and talk about his company becoming a global verb, the role of the GSB in his entrepreneurship journey, and what Eric has found to be the meaning of life. You're listening to View from the Top, the podcast. Eric, it is an honor to have you here today. Welcome back to the GSB. Thank you. I'm very, very excited to be back every time. So. Now, I'd like to start off by thanking you for not only helping to keep the world connected during the pandemic, but for creating a product that brought all of us a lot of joy and laughs, too. Everything from Zoom weddings to Zoom attire. I'm thinking professional tops and pajama bottoms and everything in between. So thank you. That's why I like Stanford, like GSP, because I know Stanford and GSP only use Zoom, never use any other, other product. <laughs> <laughs> that is a true statement. Now, few founders can say that their companies have turned into a global verb. Take us back to the very beginning. How did you first come up with the idea for Zoom? Uh, back to 20, 2010 time frame, you know, I was at uh, Cisco. I was corporate vice president over there. And when I came to America in 1997, I joined WebEx as one of the first several founding engineers. I worked extremely hard, you know, tried to make WebEx better. Unfortunately, and uh, after 10 or 11 years hard work back to 2010 time frame, every time I can tell you when I talked with the customer, I did not see a single happy customer. Every morning when I woke up, I did not want to go to the office. Because when you talk to the customer, customer every time, share their pain point, the mission, the video quality not very good, mobile experience horrible, I really wanted to fix that problem. Unfortunately, and uh, you know, they told me that that's not a good idea. You still can sell a lot of WebEx. Why do you want to cannibalize uh, WebEx? And it took me one year, I failed to convince others. I guess I should come to GSP learn how to convince others. So I guess I did not you know, take that course. I failed to convince others. So, but anyway, so finally I decided to leave to build my own solution. And a key part in your story, you mentioned coming to the United States in the late 1990s. That path to get to the US wasn't necessarily smooth, was it? What kind of challenges did you run into coming to Silicon Valley? Uh, Gee, actually, that's a long time ago. I thought it was pretty straightforward. I was a very good engineer. I should get a visa. Unfortunately, and it took me uh, uh, nine attempts right, to get here. Wow. I, I, my visa application got rejected 80 times. And, uh, but luckily, I got the, the, the final the visa and uh, came here. But looking back, I really appreciate it. Because the reason why is more like to practice my perseverance, right? So, and again, it took me one and a half years to come to America to pursue my American dream. So. 
Wow. And keeping on that international fame, I don't know if you know, but we have quite a few of our classmates in the audience who are internationals and are living in the U.S. for the first time. What were some of those first years like in the U.S. as someone who had never lived in Silicon Valley or the United States before? That's a good question. I would, I would say back to 1997, and I remember before I came here, I was extremely excited, right? Because when I was a kid, you know, always uh, read the stories of HP and Silicon Valley, Apple, very, very excited. However, after you landed here, realize it's not that easy because you, you have learned the culture, history, how to, you know, uh, you know, make new friends, build a trust, language barrier, all kinds of things. Luckily, I, I live in Silicon Valley. You know, Silicon Valley, not only the worldwide innovation center, but also here, the people here, extremely friendly. A lot of leaders, you know, they would like to help you. I think after several months, I feel like already part of the Silicon Valley. And looking back, I was, wow, this is the best experience. And I love your optimism. You came from you know, China to the United States, not speaking English, applied for a visa nine times, rose up in WebEx and Cisco, and then you came to the Stanford Graduate School of Business. What role did being at the GSB play in that vision to turn an idea you had back in 1987 into a company that is now That's a great question. Anytime, if I have time, I take a break, I want to be you know, part of a GSB you know, group. I want to sit here like you guys. I think very excited. The reason why I said so is, you know, back to you know early, early time I, when I came here. You know, before I came here, I, well, I was very confident. I said, "Wow, you know, America, huge opportunity, right? As long as you work hard, you can achieve your dream." And however, I, after you know, I worked for WebEx for a while. You know, quite often I work very, very hard, right, and make a very good progress. However, you know, sometimes your confidence level suddenly not very high, was as high as the first, time, first day when you landed here. And because it makes some progress, you do not want to take a risk. You, know, you do not want to start over, right? And back to 2006, and I, I participated you know, in the, the Stanford and the GSB SCP program. I can tell you, actually, just literally after the, the, the summer, the day after I left the Stanford, I felt like more like the first day when I landed at San Francisco airport. My confidence level was extremely high. I almost created a job to start a new company at that time. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, so you know, being here just one summer, my confidence level is at least twice high. You know, for all the GSB students, you're here one or two years. I guarantee, you, I guarantee you your confidence level probably four times or four times <laughs> high. If you are not, I can tell you a back on program. SCP program also pretty good too. So. <laughs> but anyway, I was so grateful to Stanford GSB, you know, greater curriculums, right? Greater, you know, a lot of uh, kids studies and greater professors, you know, and uh, yeah, it's just, uh, by the way, after that, every time, you know, to manage a company, manage a team, it's pretty challenging. And sometimes, you know, you feel like a very lonely in a downtime. Every time I feel like that, if I come back to GSB and to Stanford campus, I can tell you, I sort of fully recharge myself. That's another reason why I'm here today. I need to fully recharge myself, so. <laughs> Yeah. It's definitely a special place. I agree with you. Very special. And also, with not to mention entrepreneurial, 
atmosphere here in GSB. I think a great opportunity, I think, for all of you after you graduate. Well, fast forward, that company that you had the idea for way back when, you were inspired at the GSB, that company has fundamentally changed the way that we all stay connected. That's what GSB you know, taught us, right? So, <laughs> to build something to change the world. Absolutely. But Zoom is seen as something that was an overnight success, but that wasn't the case, was it? Yeah, it took us many, many years of effort. I think prior to COVID, probably most of the, you know, People never heard about Zoom, right? But we were very patient, you know, as long as we keep improving the product experience to make sure our customer happy, I know sooner or later we are going to achieve something. Yeah. And so it sounds like a lot of hard work went into it. And part of that hard work was finding investors for Zoom. It's hard to fathom, but back then investors weren't jumping at the bit to, to invest in Zoom. What lessons do you have from that period of time that you can share with the entrepreneurs and the aspiring entrepreneurs in the audience today? It's good to know VC here, so I can share the story. So, and after I left Cisco, I thought I was a vice president of engineering. I built WebEx. I have also a lot of connections. It should be straightforward, right? You talk to VCs, they all want to invest you. That's my, that's my thought. But I was completely wrong. And uh, I tried to talk almost every VC I knew. Nobody wanted to invest in me. And uh, plus, some other VC friend told me that, Eric, as long as you build something else, our check was ready for you. So meaning you should not build another video collaboration solution. And I remember that I talked to one VC. And uh, you know, again, you know, the, the VC mission, that's a horrible idea. You should not do that. But on the way back, and I told myself, you are wrong. I got to prove you are wrong. So after I back to office, I changed my, you know, the screen saver, you know, to be, you are wrong. So, <laughs> and uh, I removed that after we became a Nasdaq public company. So, so many actually, when you try to raise the capital, right, you know, for sure we are humble, right? There's a reason why we see they did not invest you, right? You got to, and understand why it is good for you, right? But sometimes, and VCs might be wrong. If you think you're right, VCs are wrong, it's not a bad thing, right? Give you more reasons, you've got to work harder to prove they are wrong. That's what had happened to us. Yeah. I think that's an incredibly important lesson that I know a lot of us starting companies will, will keep in mind. Yeah, don't give up, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Quite often, VCs may not be right, so. And Especially for those VCs, you never got, got educated here at GSB, right? So. <laughs> and I think another important lesson in that story is learning to pivot. As you mentioned, Zoom was a successful company before the pandemic, serving mainly B2B clients. And then, boom, the pandemic happens, and you have to add B2C into that portfolio. What were some of the big lessons that came away, and how did you rapidly adjust to such a significant expansion in your customer base? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a tough experience because you are so right. Zoom was built to serve for enterprise customer prior to pandemic crisis, and during the pandemic crisis, you know, and uh, we had so many, you know, the new users, consumers, all kinds of new use cases like K to twelve schools or telemedicine, telehealth. You know, we never thought about those uh, consumer use cases. And the mistake we made is, you know, prior to you know COVID crisis, we had a lot of security features, but normally we work together with the enterprise IT team. You know, they are going to test our product with some PUC process, 
they are going to enable some security features or privacy features. And however, for those uh, you know, first-time consumers, experience is very different. They do not have an IT team, right? Then we realized we made a huge mistake. Not only did we play a role of uh, offering the service, but also we should play a role of uh, serving the IT for them. And so I've learned a hard lesson. We quickly took actions and uh, we, we, we won the trust back. Because you know, when you sort of lost your trust, you got to make sure to take actions as quickly as possible. And also keep everything open and transparent. Why you made a mistake? What's your, you know, what's your you know, the effort? Right? How, to, you know, how to fix all those problems? Keep everything open, transparent, communicate with the customers. You know, that's a lesson learned. And finally, finally, we won the trust back. Absolutely. And I want to pick up on a word you said, which is mistake. Something that I, I admire so much about you as a leader is your honesty and transparency like you were talking about. And for example, when you know, data and security issues were brought up during the pandemic, your response was to publicly roll out a statement of how we're fixing it, here are the problems that we see, and this is how we're going to take feedback into account. You touched on this a little bit, but would love to dive in a bit more. How do you see transparency being important in leadership, and how can we as future leaders and leaders in the business world think about being transparent in difficult situations? I think, for, first of all, during the difficult situations, you got to just take a step back, take a step back right? Try to understand what had happened, right? Those end users, you know, why you know, share with you all those issues? Because I think they care about us. Ultimately, you know, for, for us, if we can address all those problems, who is going to benefit? Zoom, right? Ourselves. That's why we embrace, you know, all those, uh, you know, uh, challenges, right? And at the same time, we got to and uh, take actions, right? You know, you know. First of all, I needed to tell, you know, publicly tell them, sorry, I messed up. You know, we got to fix. You know, for all the issues we know, what's the problem? What's the root cause? What's the path and the solution to address all those issues, right? And I personally hosted a weekly, in you know, security in you know, uh, meetings and with all the, you know, the end users and also share with them transparently about those effort, plans, programs, how we double down on security and privacy, a lot of things, right? You know, end users, they are pretty smart. They understand, you know, are you going to try hard to fix those issues or you just talk about that, right? So that's, that's you know, what, we, what we, we did, you know, you know, two years ago at Zoom and, uh, you know, prior to, you know, COVID crisis, you know, look at our privacy security, very small, around a dozen people. And now we have more than 200 full-time employees, right? And because of that, and we, we took privacy and security very, very seriously. Because a lot of security companies, they deploy Zoom, Garmin customers also use Zoom, and finally customers really like Zoom and think, yeah, you guys you know, admitted those uh, mistakes and then quickly fix that problem. And also make it better, even better than any of our competitors in terms of security and privacy. Because you had a lot of people relying on you. Can I get a show of hands? How many people use Zoom during the pandemic? I think I know the answer, but. Thank you. I use it too. <laughs> yeah, there we go. John, uh, Dean Levin mentioned this stat before, but I want to bring it out again because I think it's incredible. The number of Zoom users increased from 10 million to 300 million. Sorry, per that's a day. meeting participant, not meeting a participants. Yes, meeting participants per day in just four months. I mean, Zoom was really pushed into the spotlight and also given a chance to shine. Walk us through your thought process. When did you realize that Zoom could play a critical role during the pandemic? I think, of course, I and uh, 
you know, I remember, I think the first time my daughter, right, her, you know, school, and also you know, closed the school, I went online. I remember it's a Monday morning, the first time, you know, my, you know, I worked so hard, you know, and uh, my, my daughter even did not know what I was doing. But, you know, as she asked me the first time, hey, Dad, how to raise my hand during the Zoom call? I realized, <laughs> wow, you know, I never thought about my kids that are going to use Zoom. And uh, I think the first time I think I realized, wow, this is a huge potential. And I didn't realize, in, you know, and there's a huge opportunity at that time, how to and help the world, how to help the community, the society, right? This is, you know, the responsibility on our shoulders, right? The good news, we, we heavily invested in our company culture. You know, the team worked, worked extremely hard. I can tell you, I, I personally had way more, you know, sleepless nights than any time in my career, and along with a lot of engineers, because we need to add capacity in India, Brazil, a lot of other countries, quite often maybe, maybe there's small glitches you've got to fix quickly. I can tell you, wow, that's a six months time frame, and the good news you know, was over. So it's, it's pretty tough, very challenging. I can't even imagine. I have to ask, hearing about the responsibility, hearing about all the things you were thinking about, the sleepless nights, how do you stay grounded? And how do you prioritize what really matters? That's why I like GSB, you know? I learned a lot of stuff. I was already mentally prepared well, right? Because on the one hand, if you really want to build something to make the world better, to change the world, for sure, you are going to face all kinds of challenges, right? Mentally, you got to prepare well. Meaning, may not be today, maybe next year, maybe next week, right? So mentally, we were, at least I was uh, prepared very well. So when that happens, I realize, on the one hand, you are facing the challenge. On the other hand, you, you also realize, if you can overcome all those uh, challenges, right, guess what? You know, your company, your team, yourself, will become a very different, become much better, right? That's why we leverage that opportunity. Look at every corner of our business. What we can do differently to improve. I take you know, our you know, team size, for example. Prior to COVID, we've only had a little bit over 2,000 employees. You know, for now, actually, we hired over 6,000 employees over the past 18 months, right? And to make sure further scale our business. This is a great opportunity for us for the future and to position us very well to transform our business from being a video conferencing killer app company to be a platform business. That's a huge opportunity. And the opportunities that Zoom has even in the future are huge. I want to come to a question first, though, that is something that we talk a lot about here at the GSB, which is work-life balance. I've heard that you are, in addition to running one of the, the biggest companies, also an active parent on your children's basketball teams. How do you balance and how do you think about that work-life balance between spending time on your company yeah. while also spending time with your family? Yeah, that. That's one thing, I guess, during my time uh, in GSB, I did not learn how to balance that, because, uh, you know, and the reason why, and at that time, I also thought of a balance. And uh, I talked with many other classmates, and you know, some professors tried to, tried to, you know, figure out a way how to balance. And later on, I realized, as long as you think about balance, there's no answer. So meaning, don't think about balance. You know, think about, if you like work, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's part of a life. You know, you are passionate about something, and especially you are good at something, and uh, you also can create value. And if you like that, you know, that's a part of a life. You know, work is life. Life is work. Don't think about balance. That's what. 
Two is, what if there's a conflict between work and life? I, you know, at Zoom and our principle is very simple. Whenever there's a conflict between work and life, your family first. Always like that. You know, take my personal experience, for example, many years ago, and uh, I think that's our uh, Christmas party. And my son's high school, they also, you know, they are going to have a basketball game and in San Francisco. I told our team, sorry, that's a conflict. I'm going to enjoy my son's basketball game. I'm not going to, I'll be, I, I, I will be very late to the Christmas party, right? That's our philosophy. Don't think about balance. Find your passion, you know, work is a life, life is a work. At the same time, if there's a conflict, family first. That's, you know, very simple. But don't think about balance. If you think about balance, every day you are going to struggle. Every month you are going to struggle. Yeah. In addition to putting family first, it sounds like happiness is something that is so important to you. How do you take that personal value of happiness and then translate into a company culture that's also based on happiness? Yeah, so company culture is extremely important. Looking back, I think that's, uh, that's one thing I, I, I personally you know, feel proud of because on the first day when I started Zoom, I remember when we did, did two things. I wrote down company culture and value and was about to use the furniture right, to, to, to for a, a table. So, but anyway, so our company culture, just two words, very easy, right? very catchy, deliver happiness. And the meaning, and for me, as a CEO of a company, my number one priority is to make sure Zoom employee happy. I believe if you have happy employees, you're going to have happy customers, right? So I do all I can to think about how to make, make sure Zoom employee happy. And at the same time, you know, employee, you know, they are going to make a customer happy. You know, that's our company, the culture. Yeah. Wow. And it sounds like as CEO, you have a lot of people to keep happy, your customers, your employers, um, you know, shareholders. What happens when one of these stakeholder groups isn't happy? How do you keep them on board? So first of all, we should tell them, right, what's the purpose of you know, life, right? The purpose of life is really about happiness, right? And also the sustainable happiness comes from making others happy, right? You know, for those you know, shareholders, right, like the stock price is down, you know, they are not happy, we tell them, hey, this is more short-term thing, right? And plus, and we should you know, communicate, you know, them, communicate with them you know, very well about you know, why, you know, let's say you want to buy the Zoom stock, why you become a share, you know, the, the stakeholder, right? And ultimately, we want to make sure you know, those you know, the employees or shareholders and they truly understand our company mission, right? And they can all only look at the short-term stuff, right? And if, if they do not understand the, the purpose of life, you know, just you know, focus on the short-term happiness, right? For sure, you know, that's not our, you know, our company, the, the culture. We always think about what you can do differently to focus on long-term sustainable happiness, right? Rather than just a short-term happiness. You know, like sometimes employee, you just focus on the money or the power and or the title. Those are the short-term happiness. In the longer term, right, you got to look at, make, your, make sure the, the happiness is sustainable. Always think about in the long run, make a customer happy, make an employee happy, and down the road, you know, I think you will get a much better return. Yeah. And keeping on that happiness theme, because I think it's, it's so unique to who you are as a person, something else that we think a lot about here at the GSB is what kind of leader we want to become. We have a class where we ask ourselves, why would someone follow us? Given your background, being an immigrant to the US, being an engineer, overcoming adversity, putting happiness at the center of everything, how would you describe your leadership style and how has that evolved over the years? 
I think my leadership uh, style, uh, for sure, again, and uh, I, I was very fortunate to live in Silicon Valley, and uh, I've, uh, you know, during my career here, I had so many mentors, you know, truly helped me, you know, shaped my leadership style. And uh, I think many years ago, I would say my leadership style is more like a very hands-on leader, right? And I tried to work so hard, try to understand, you know, again, this is kind of, I should have come to GSB first, otherwise I'm not gonna spend so much time to learn like, uh, you know, marketing, sales, and uh, support, and the uh, strategy, and, uh, you know, and uh, I, I learned a lot, and right? because uh, I really want to understand how business operates, right? And it's more like very hands-on leadership. That's kind of my, you know, uh, personal style. And, but later on, I realized that's not a scalable, right? You know, how to delegate, you know, some of the very important works to a team, how to make sure you are surrounded by a lot of uh, leaders, Probably they are even better than you, you know, on, on some fronts. I think I learned a lot. Otherwise, especially over the past two years, and I, I do not think I can sleep, right? And given the so many challenges, so many opportunities, right? That's my leadership style. I think I think completely changed, right? How to balance between the hands-on leadership and also the dedication. So it sounds like as Zoom scaled, you had to adapt your leadership style to fit that so it could scale with it. Yeah, otherwise there's no way to scale, you know, up your business. Yeah. Exactly. We talked about Zoom pre-pandemic. We talked about Zoom during the pandemic. Let's look to the future. In five years from now, what is Zoom going to look like and what are you excited for? Five years later, Zoom will be for sure five years better. So, and so, <laughs> after years. But anyway, I think, uh, uh, from our perspective, we truly believe, and in the future, from a technology perspective, Zoom even can deliver a, can deliver a much better experience than face-to-face -face meeting. You know, you and I can, you can sit at home, I can sit anywhere, let's say local Starbucks coffee, I shake your hands, you feel my hand shaking, I give a hug, you feel my intimacy, and even if we speak a different language, we can understand each other, and you get a cup of coffee, I can enjoy the smell remotely, all those technologies will be part of our offering in the future. At the same time, we would like to transform our business to be a platform company. You know, video, voice, you know, team chat, conference room systems, events, webinar, and also all other collaboration solutions. Essentially, the end user, they can live within the Zoom platform, can get most of the work done rather than always switching back and forth to other, you know, the, the applications. The switching cost is very high, right? Essentially, Zoom more like a working hybrid work operating system. You know, that's why we are very, very excited. Yeah. I'm excited for that, too. Yeah, if any of you like that vision, feel free to join us. Yeah. <laughs> so you kept the world connected during a global pandemic and brought happiness to millions. 10, 20, even 50 years from now, what do you want people to remember about you and about Zoom? It's great questions. I think uh, one thing I really want, you know, Zoom and myself to be remembered is that, you know, if someone write a book, they would say during the you know, 2020 COVID-19 crisis, there's a company called Zoom, truly helped the world, truly enabled global connections, you know, that's why that's what I want the world to remember myself and also the, the Zoom, also all the Zoomies. And uh, yeah, that, that's pretty much. But again, you know, and uh, we just, uh, you know, started our chapter two, you know, and we are embarking on a Zoom 2.0 journey. That's more exciting stuff you know, down the road.
Wow, wow. Principled and purposeful leadership. You must be a, a GSB alum. <laughs> yep, absolutely, yeah. So a, a final question before you, before we move into audience Q&A. This is a question we'll be asking each of our speakers uh, as they come throughout the year. And the question is, principled leadership is paramount at the Stanford GSB. What do you view as your role in leading with responsibility to not only your company, but to society at large? Yes, it's a great question. So one thing I like at Cisco, and when I was there, the Cisco former CEO chairman, John Chambers, is such a great leader. I learned one thing from him. When you look at, you know, as a leader, right, when you look at the business and the organization you work for, don't always think about, you know, your organization. Always think about your organization's social responsibility, what it can do to help the, the community and society. Right? That's what I learned. That's why when it comes to Zoom's value, you know, our company value is just one word, care. The care about the community, customer, company, teammates, and, uh, as well as ourselves. To care about the community, that's extremely important. Make sure your business, your organization is part of a society. You think about how you can play, a, play differently, right? Not only think about day-to-day -day work, but also play a bigger role. Make sure you can contribute back to the community, to the society. Spoken as a true GSB alum. Thank you. We're now going to- I passed the test, right? To be a very qualified GSB alum. 100%. Thank you. Pass with flying colors. Thank you. We're now going to move into audience Q&A. I still remember that particular day, uh, October 27th, 2020, when I was in China, having a Zoom interview with Harvard Business School. And right in the middle of the uh, interview, uh, you know, the severe connection issue or censorship that might have captured my twisted sense of humor, whatever it was, uh, forcibly shut me out of the meeting and never allowed me to log back in. And a month later, I received a rejection letter from Harvard Business School, which spurred me to apply for the even better business school, Stanford GSB, where I proudly find myself at this moment. And I really appreciate Zoom for having changed my path in a very meaningful way. <laughs> Anyway, so regardless of the countless efforts made by uh, Zoom to uh, improve the security and transparencies, I think there are still uh, not a few people who have concerns over you know, Zoom's association with Chinese government. And in fact, some organizations, including the Taiwanese government, Japanese government, and some private company in the US still ban the official use of Zoom. And in my view, that Zoom has been uh, particularly susceptible to this kind of uh, China-related speculations, um, you know, because of your personal background and the fact that uh, Zoom was actually uh, complicit in China's censorship and repression in 2020. So my question is, how would you go about reconciling your personal identity as a former Chinese national holding American passport was the need for navigating a multinational tech company like Zoom in such a complex and uh, you know, sensitive business environment shaped by the U.S.-China relationship these days? Yeah, great question. First of all, I think that's a, one of the best use cases, right? Experience about Zoom. So how lucky you are, you are part of a GSB. You know, so. <laughs> and I think it boils down to one thing, right? How to build a trust? Right, this is very important. You know, all those issues you just described boils down to one thing. You know, because you know the other side. You know, see the customers who never use Zoom or be some other government, they do not know who we are, right? How to establish their trust? Right? That's right. At Zoom, the speed of trust is our favorite book, right? 
you know, the problem you mentioned, yeah, I was born in China, right? They, you know, the, when the pandemic crisis, you know, came, you know, when the, a lot of users, you know, you count on Zoom for some mission critical application, they do not know who I am, right? And, uh, you know, I'm, uh, uh, you know, American citizen, right? They do not know that. They say, oh, Zoom is uh, maybe it's, you know, kind of registered in other countries. That's not the case, right? All those issues, guess what? We did not do a good job. We should proactively communicate with the world. Who is Zoom? You know, what kind of, uh, you know, the, the, the company and Zoom is? And also, what's our company, the culture and the value, animation, all those kind of things. We leverage that opportunity uh, to communicate, communicate with whoever you know, may not understand our business, may not understand you know, our team, may not know me. Right? To leverage that opportunity to build a trust. That's why you know, today, you look at it, you know, like uh, President Zelensky, right? He's using Zoom, right? And also a lot of government you know, also use Zoom as well, right? By so many security companies as well. Ultimately, that's a way for you to, 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 to always take a step back to understand what had happened and then understand that problem, the root cause, and with a greater solution. You know, I think that's why you know, today you know, I, we are doing pretty well so on that front. I just want to uh, maybe ask you how you share your, actually your secret like to be such a big success as a minority of the Asian. And we, today we also have a lot of international student, Asian student here. Do you want to like share how to make like such a big impact as a minority in United States? And please share some uh, advice and experience. I think it's a great question. First of all, I think uh, Again, you know, Silicon Valley in America, right? And uh, culture-wise, it's you know where I would say is uh, you know open-minded, right? So meaning, as long as you know you work hard and uh, contribute, right? And uh, you know, I think uh, it, they will embrace you, right? The community and also the the business industry, and I think that's a huge opportunity, right? I think don't think about you know you know your background that much. Just think about what you can do, right? To contribute back to the community, to society, right? If you can, you know, and uh, show the world, you know, you can create a lot of value. Here, UB is very successful. Quite, quite often, the reason why you're not as successful because, you know, don't think about, you know, from others' perspective. Always think about what you can do differently. Every day, you become better aware of yourself, your company get better, and also you make the world better. And then actually you'll be recognized very well. Your business also will be successful. Ultimately, I think the, 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 the common mistake is, is because you do not get it better. Your business do not get it better. And you think about, oh, maybe actually you're a minority and also you, you know, kind of there's some you know, discrimination. I think that's not a root cause. Right? Root cause always focus on yourself, focus on your business, and create more value to the society. That's the key. My name is Zhao Tang. I am a second year here. My question is about the role mentorship has played in your life and your career development. Can you tell us who your most influential mentor was and how they shaped your life? Wow, and uh, we do not have a lot of time, otherwise I can share a lot of uh, mentors. So, and uh, I think one of the, I think, uh, you know, let's, you know, take, let me take a step back, right? So one of the leaders, I, I truly think, influenced me most in terms of leadership style is a former CEO of Walmart, H.D. Scott, right? When he talked about leadership and Cisco offsite, 
and a huge influence. I even wrote a blog, you know, and I uh, also had a poster, you know, on, on the wall in my office. And I think uh, he's for sure is the best in terms of uh, uh, influence to my leadership style. And also, over the past several years, right, you know, my, you know uh, quite often I, you know, uh, see some problems and why I was facing challenges, like I can call a lot of CEOs, right? like, a, you know, like Salesforce CEO Mark, and Oracle CEO Larry, and HP CEO Enrique, and also Ray Dalio, and such a great leader. He and his team stopped by in my office, you know, to, to talk with our leadership team, you know, help us a lot. And also, yeah, quite often I can call many, you know, CEOs, right? And to help me also have our business. That's a, another reason why you know Silicon Valley you know has a great culture. A lot of leaders they want to help you out. Actually, you got to proactively reach out to them. And I'm pretty sure a lot of leaders, even if they do not know you, they want to help you out, right? Because it's how to give back. This is part of a Silicon Valley culture. My name is Alex. I'm an MBA too. Um, so at the beginning of the pandemic, there are obviously a lot of um, video um, chatting. Um, services out there, you know, Google Plus and um, Skype and, of course, Zoom. And why was it Zoom the one that, you know, triumphed in the end? Great question. I think the founder is a GSB alumni. That's the reason. Because, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's, that's the root cause. That's the reason. So, <laughs> But anyway, I think... Uh, you know, to build a better solution, you got to spend more time with your customers. You know, ultimately, what's innovation? Innovation really about you want to be the first company to understand customer pain point and also take actions quickly and to be the first winner to build a solution. If you keep doing that, sooner or later, you are going to win. So that's our that's our approach. That's the reason other you know competitors, I think, they lost. Yeah. My name is Yu Chen Zhou, and I'm a first-year MBA student here. My question is, what was the most frustrating moment in your professional career, and uh, how did you overcome the difficulties, and what did you learn from it? Oh, that's a great question. So I think, uh, again, there's uh, uh, too many frustration moments in, in my career. And, uh, you know, and, uh, very often, and, but however, as a number one, number one thing, you've got to calm down. That's very, very important because to be a CEO, the most important thing is you want to make a better decision, right? If you do not calm down and if you are very frustrated, very likely you are going to make a, a, a wrong decision. That's very important. You got to make sure, take a step back, calm down, make sure you always try to make a better decision. That's, that's number one thing. Number two thing is, you know, at Zoom, we also and have a formula, the problem root cause solution. Frustration will not help you anything, right? You got to do, every time you see the problem, and the huge problem, right, you, you probably feel frustrated. You got to take a step back. Just to focus on problem, root cause, and a solution. And you think about, if you can have a better solution, guess what? You are going to be, become a better company. And you, every time you think, wow, because this is a problem, Zoom will get better tomorrow. I'm going to become a better leader tomorrow. Then you should be happier. Right? Why you feel frustrated? And that's uh, you know, my principle. Yeah. I'm Ipshita, an MBA too. 
Um, you talked about the importance of patience as you were building Zoom and that it took time. But now that you're a listed company, there's also share price pressures, there's pressures of quarterly results. So how do you balance the short-term share price responsibility yeah. that you have versus the long-term customer pain point view? That's a great, great question. I think uh, the one, yeah, this is another mentor, I, my mentor. So you, and I learned a lot from him as well. The company called NVIDIA, right? And by the founder and CEO, Jason, also the, the Stanford alumni as well. See, all those Stanford alumni companies doing very well. So look at, you look at NVIDIA, the company history. I remember there's a time, 10 years in a row, the stock price was flat. Look at it today. Number one, semiconductor company. Because you make sure as a leader, right, always focus on the long-term goal, right? Do not focus on short-term. And also you got to educate the team, communicate with the team. The mission of the company is extremely important. You want to recruit, retain those employees who share the same mission. And then you can focus on long-term goal rather than just a short-term goal, right? I also learned a hard lesson. You know, over the past several years, I can tell you, our engineer team very stable. I did not lose a single top talents, but we do we do lose a lot of uh, salespeople because they may not understand the company mission, right? That's why I say, you know, focus on and recruiting those uh, talents who can share the same mission. Focus on long term. And media is such a great example. So, oh, sorry, I was on mute. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Um, That's Eric. the best feature for <laughs> Zoom. Um, so Eric, my name is Shantam. I'm an MBA one as well. Uh, my question to you is, you know, Zoom really transformed within the first three to six months. I went from talking to my grandfather's forehead to actually hosting thousands of people on it. And you said customer was in the center of your development. But you also had so many different types of customers, customers wanting sophistication of the product yep. and others wanting more basic Need. So how do you optimize for the product development phase and the growth phase and the communication phase of, of your product? Um, yeah, this is a great question. So as time goes on, right, so the, the, the founder and CEO, the, the role, you have to you know, change you know, dynamically, right? So for the first several years, I was heads down to product side for the first four and, four, four and a half a year, five years, and after that, I probably shifted most of my priority of work to go to market and sales and marketing. But later on I realized that's not scalable. We have to kind of take the turn, right? And sort of a company to focus the priority from product focus to go to market focus and then back to the product focus. You know, I needed to you know, shift my role you know, to focus on product. That's what had happened you know, over the past six or nine months, right? You have to make sure from the top Right, from a CEO perspective, I always look at the product side. Otherwise, very soon, right, your product may not be best, right? So that's why I dedicate a lot of other go-to-market, you know, the responsibility, the, the tasks to other leaders, and spend most of the time on the product side. And like key features and designs, you know, sometimes the features you think very, very good for enterprise customers, may not work for consumers and vice versa, right? How to balance that? Make sure, you know, you always simplify the product experience and also make sure every product you know, managers, 
engineers, they, were, they truly understand why you added this feature. Not, you know, when you build a, the, the product, it's very easy to add so many features. But guess what? It's not very easy to use anymore. Like, it's so crowded, right? So how to balance that? You know, the, you know, ease of use and the feature set, enterprise customers, and also consumers, right? The key is make sure, you know, you got to focus prior to that, you know, starting from the CEO and the founder and all the team, you know, and will follow. Yeah. It's a view from the top tradition to close with a lightning round. So I'll say a short statement and you answer with the first thing that comes into your head. Sure. Ready? Yeah, always ready. <laughs> Most annoying Zoom habit? Mute. <laughs> Favorite basketball team? Oh, Warriors for sure. So, yeah. Got some fans. Uh, number of Zoom weddings you've attended? Uh, more than a dozen. So. <laughs> well, if you're looking for any more, I have quite a few friends getting married this year. So we can... We I can, can tell you the, the wedding ceremony hosted on Zoom. That's the best use case. Because you even do not need to make up. Zoom has a very cool feature called touch up your appearance, right? <laughs> so. I'll keep that in mind. Uh, best advice you've ever received from your parents? Hard work and stay humble. And something you can't live without? Love. And I think the world that we live in today, that's something that we could all use a bit more of. Eric, thank you. It's been a privilege. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to View from the Top, the podcast, a production of Stanford Graduate School of Business. This interview was conducted by me, Kathleen Schwinz, of the MBA class of 2023. Lily Sloan composed our theme music, and Michael Riley and Jenny Luna produced this episode. You can find more episodes of this podcast at our website, www.gsb.stanford.edu, or wherever you get your podcasts.